Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Hey, y'all. It's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. While the other guy is on another vacation, Marty has a surprise co-host and guest to help him review Seventh Continent, Codenames Duet, Professor Evil and the Citadel of Time, and Shadespire. Hey, what was that other guy's name again? Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 128, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. My name is Marty, and my regular co-host, Tony is on vacation somewhere. He just kind of up and left and said, I'm leaving 128 in your hands. I kind of freaked out a little bit, but I was lucky enough to be able to reach out to a good friend of mine who said uh, that he would uh, come on the show. And, and you may know this guy. This My co-host for this show uh, is an actor who's been in many movies and TV shows. He's also the host of the radio show, Cardboard. And it, it's the one man in Hollywood who actually prefers board games to Botox. My friend friend, Rich Summer. Hello, Marty. How are you? Rich, I'm not doing too good because I'm just going to full disclosure here. Rich and I just talked for about eight minutes, yep. just having a great discussion. Yep. And um, Marty, the, you know, here, here, see, I'm just, I'm nervous, Rich. I mean, here you are, you're a professional actor on the show. I'm trying to be professional. Uh-huh. If I would just would have pressed the record button, it would have been awesome because there was would've... some really good banter that will never oh, be great. heard. Spontaneous sort of... Uh... You know, really, really catching up with each other, get, getting down to the nitty gritty and fast. And really, I feel like it was a spark that 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 we will never recapture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, OK. I know this is episode 128, uh, including do overs. How many episodes have you done? Do you think? 264. <laughs> That sounds right. That sounds right. <laughs> One thing I did bring up in the <laughs> in the Lost Tapes uh, edition of uh, RDTN, I was reading uh, Rich's IMDb page, and I'm a huge fan of the cartoon that was on Cartoon Network called The Regular Show. And Rich, I didn't realize that you were uh, uh, did some voiceover work or some voice acting uh, for that show. And you had a really good anecdote that you told me about when the recorder was not recording mm-hmm. <laughs> of how you got that gig. Mm-hmm. And for for if you if you uh, contribute to our Patreon, you can hear uh, that anecdote again <laughs> uh, right here. No, I, it, it basically was that I had gotten into a Twitter exchange with someone over board games, and it turned out that he was a writer for the regular show. And I just sort of um, after we had been chatting for a while, I, I did not intend for this to actually happen, but I just sort of flippantly said, uh, can I be on your show? And he said, sure. And little did I know that that would turn into several episodes. I think I did maybe seven or eight of the regular show. And then uh, that show ended. And the creator of that show, J.G. Quintel, has started another show called Close Enough on TBS. And I've gotten to do a few episodes of that one. And so it, it Really just, um, it was just out of a, a Twitter exchange about board games. See, board games, 
board games, uh, now I can write them all off on my taxes. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, and, and if you've never watched the, the regular show, I highly recommend it. it it's, it's ended, but it went for, gosh, several seasons. And it is one of those that I consider like, it's a cartoon, but it's very highbrow humor. It's odd. It's bizarre. But uh, myself and my sons absolutely love that show. So I'm glad to see that uh, he's doing something else. And what's also really cool is on that show, Mark Hamill. Uh, played a character on that show and you said that you actually ran into him one day going in to do some work yeah i think it was maybe my first or second session with regular show i uh, showed up a few minutes early and mark hamill was just finishing up his session and um i got to watch him work for a little while and then when he was cleaning up and i was being brought in to kind of set my microphone height and level and everything he introduced himself and he was nothing but kind and and it turned out that he and his family watched another show i had done mad men and and uh it was one of the most surreal feelings in the world having mark hamill know my work was uh something i i don't think i expected to have happen anytime in my life did you get a selfie at least i did not you know i'm not good at getting those selfies just because i feel i don't know i feel so strange asking for them. i i sometimes if it's someone my kids are really into i'll ask for a selfie because i i really want nothing more than to impress them but but normally normally i i i just skip that part your kids aren't into star wars they're j- only now just getting into star wars we watched uh they watched force of i almost my son who is lovely still calls it star wars force of weekends uh so we just watched force of weekends uh a couple of weekends ago uh and then we started new hope so so they're they're just barely breaking into it but uh they've seen two of the mark hamill star wars movies now so that's it's it's a good start and you're showing them in the order skipping one two and three well done sir yes of course hey by the way i know that uh I know this little bit of a tidbit about you, and it just really irritates me, but I'm going to say it anyway. Today, on uh, September 20th, is the 15th anniversary of the premiere of Firefly, which you, I think last time I talked, you had never seen. That's correct. And uh, upon this this time, I have good news for you, Marty. I still have never seen it. <sighs> Dude, it's only 13 episodes. Just invest 13 episodes. I know, but there's everything is only 13 episodes. There's some actual amazing television out there in 13 episodes. I'm sure Firefly is one of them, but you know, there, there, there are other shows. You make me sad. I was never, I wasn't, I didn't grow up a sci-fi guy and, uh, it, it's, it's been a slow come around for me. And in fact, funny enough, one of the things that brought me around to sci-fi at all to even having a, a glancing interest in it was that and and well, I was sent a copy of Summoner Wars mm. by Plaid Hat Games back in maybe 2000 I want to say oh 10 something like that and they uh Colby Douch Douch I never can remember how to say his full last name but um wrote me a note and and I I wrote him back and said listen I appreciate this game I just have to let you know fantasy it's, it's not really sci-fi but fantasy theme doesn't really grab me it's not something I usually like and he said listen I stand by this game I think if you take it for a spin you'll like it and I did and he totally proved me wrong and it opened me up I I just sort of was a little bit prejudiced against certain themes both in movie movies and games and TV shows and those were sci-fi and fantasy it just wasn't where i landed and and uh so i have plat hat games and summoner wars to thank for 
opening my eyes to the possibility that something could be good that I didn't think could be. So, yes, I'll watch Firefly someday. Good heavens. Uh, all you had to do was just say yes or no. I, mean, <laughs> I, I have a tendency to go off uh, on tangents, Marty. Hey, I don't know if you know this. Okay, actually, I know you do because we talked about it when it wasn't being recorded. But I'm going to say it again. You are only the second person to ever co-host uh, the show with me. Typically, when uh, Tony has gone out on vacation, uh, I've had Rodney Smith from Watch It Played sit in uh, on that seat. And uh, I would say that you have big shoes to fill, but yeah, it was Rodney. <laughs> I don't know why you're so mean to Rodney all the time, Marty. Me? I said this in the first time we recorded this. You need to stop picking on Rodney. <laughs> Lord. You, you need to get on your knees and ask for forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> I was very clear. I said I... I feel bad for all of the things that I've ever said that you seem to believe were me making fun of Rodney. I, that was never my intention. And I just – it's its hard to watch someone who is clearly a fundamentally good man being brought down by someone uh, – by the likes of you. Gosh. I cannot believe this is actually going to be on air. Holy cow, your nose. I don't even know how you could deal with the length of your nose right now. Listen, I just calls him likes I sees him, Marty. <laughs> No, in, in all honesty, Rodney is a, a great guy. It's just that uh, he, Rich, and I just kind of joke and jab with each other, and it really, it really kind of all goes back to that uh, uh, the video game or that app that we played Subterfuge from like a year and a half ago, where I saw a side of Rodney that I did not know existed. You saw not only a side of Rodney, but of almost everyone in that game. The, Subterfuge, for those who haven't played it, it's an it's an app based game that happens sort of in kind of in real time right it happens over the course of days it's almost like diplomacy mm -hmm. uh but but way more going on and, and takes a lot longer but it is a lot about deal making and then deal breaking and backstabbing and yes our friend rodney smith well he just had no problems winning i, I once played a game of intrigue i don't know if you've ever played that one stefan dora game from a number of years ago and I did a move on one of my best friends, and his response was, huh, guess someone wants to win. <laughs> and that is how I feel about Rodney Smith in that game of subterfuge. You talked about everybody acted a little bit different. The only people that I think that kind of acted somewhat normal was maybe you, me. Jeff Engelstein won, so that's pretty normal. Yes. The other person that was kind of out there was Chaz Marler from Paradise Paradise. And that, as I've said a number of times, was my first introduction to Chaz. Uh, as far as like us interacting one on one, I had certainly seen him online. Oh yeah, Chaz Chaz took on a um, shall we say a persona during that game. Yeah, and I don't even know what. It, what I mean, I was like, I couldn't tell. Are you kidding? Are you not kidding? It was it was it was just a bizarre sort of game that it took us I don't know how how many weeks for us to finish. I know that once we were all done, we said uninstall, never play again. Oh, never again. I it, listen. It was it was a Truly incredible game experience, uh, but I I have a wife and children, and uh, I try to have jobs. I I can't go uh, into that again. It was it was it was all consuming. One of the things that I was going to talk to you about, you know, you got your show uh, uh, cardboard uh, with Rich Summer, which is kind of like your uh, radio show. Now I know that you've been in the process of moving, and and you've been on hiatus for a while, and. Uh, 
I was going to talk about, uh, you know, when you're going to come back on all this. But the day before this, you actually recorded an episode. So just let me go to my show notes and scribble that part out right there. So we won't talk about that. And then I was going to talk to you, you know, with Halloween coming up, I was going to talk to you about like the Arkham Horror uh, card game because you and I played it last year at BGG Con. But just so happens one of your callers called up and you talked about that. Two, just let me two of my callers. Two of, Two of your college. That's yep. right. Uh, scratch that out. And this episode is called Seventh Son of a Seventh Son because we're doing a segment uh, with my uh, good friends Nate and Mark. We're going to be talking about the Seventh Continent. But it just so happened that Scott Alden from BGG called you up and y'all talked about Seventh Continent. So let me mark that part out too. So, um, Rich, thanks for coming on. Where can we find you? <laughs> wow. Uh, I really. <laughs> I really appreciate this show just being a mere supplement to my show yesterday. Um, no, I – well, look, to, I'm going to still touch on some of these uh, topics you brought up. One is that you were going to ask when my show was going to come back. And the reason I think you were going to ask that is that when I moved uh, July 1, I, I stopped recording for a while. I w- obviously, we moved. That was uh, traumatic. And then immediately after we moved, I went to uh, Vancouver to shoot a movie for five weeks. So I was gone for uh, another stretch of time. And then when I came home, I still had to unpack because I had not unpacked before I left. Uh, my lovely wife, thank heavens, had done inside the house. But I still had the entire uh office to unpack all the games and all of my podcasting equipment. So I finally did all that. And literally yesterday, took the computer out of a box and plugged it in and uh, truly just flipped on the switch to see if it would work in this new configuration and it turned into a show. I didn't really expect it to become the the first episode after a while, but then it ended up being that. So anyway, I'm I'm sorry to beat you to the punch, uh, but the answer is I'll I'll be doing it whenever, just like always, whenever I feel like it. (laughs) <laughs> it was just so funny as I was listening to it. I'm going, okay, okay well, there's there's Arkham Horror. Crap. Um, Seventh <laughs> Continent. Crap. Oh, and there's one more. Uh, yeah, so before Tony left, we do have a couple of pre-recorded segments with Tony. Uh, one, he and I talk about uh, the new Passport Games game, uh, Professor, e- Professor Evil and the Citadel of Time. But plus, we also do a five-minute initiative on Codenames Duet, which is going to talk to you about, but you talked about it on your show um, also, but you are enjoying that game, I believe, right? I love that game. I also love that you presume that every single one of your listeners already heard my show when I I think I have about a 17th of the listenership that you have, but, but I, but I appreciate it. Um, yes. Codename duets, Codenames duets has been uh, uh, easily my most played game of the year. I have been playing it nonstop. And, you know, I only have have had it. I mean, you you and Rodney were kind enough to get a copy for uh, me at Gen Con and sent it my way. So I played a, a handful of times at Origins, and then I've just been playing nonstop. I've taken it out of town. I played it in Washington, D.C. with a friend. I, I have been playing it here. I have it in a little travel bag because it, it, you know, breaks down to much smaller than the box. Uh, and I just take it with me because it's so easy to play at a diner or, or wherever. So I am loving that game i tried have you tried the quote-unquote campaign that's in there i have not i don't really see the point i mean it's Mm. it's cute for those of you that don't know there's a map in there that has sort of places you can go and it it changes how many 
uh, clues you're allowed to give or how many incorrect uh, answers you're allowed to have in each game. And that's really all that changes. There's not actually, from what I could figure out, a stated goal. Like, I don't think you win the campaign. You just kind of do it. I don't know. It was very confusing to me. I, I don't think I'll be chasing the campaign uh, much, but I just, as far as a game that you can sit down, play with two players, the versatility of it, we've thrown in the picture cards from Codenames Pictures, um, the fact that you can teach it to anyone. My my wife, Virginia, has shown interest, which is extremely rare because she likes code names. I'm just, I'm really excited about this game. Percentage-wise, how often do you think you win? 20%, 25%, maybe. I mean, we've gotten better. I've gotten better. Now, have you found that the uh, if you know the person better, that it's easier to win? Definitely, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, I, and sometimes, look, sometimes, just like in code names, you're going to look at that card, that code card, and you're going to go, oh, well, there's just, not a way for me to tie these together. Uh, so it's it's not it's not a it's not a perfect science, but uh, man, sometimes when you really think on it for a second and you get that humdinger of a clue, uh, it is it is a satisfying experience. I, I would tell you my thoughts on it, but you'll just have to fast forward and listen to my little five minute spiel. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll, I'll just be repeating myself. <laughs> but anyway, those segments uh, are coming up again, along with uh, our discussion on Seventh Continent. I heard Scott Alden from BGG on your show. Really, uh, he man, he was raving. He is a loving lot it. about that game. I mean, he said on your show that right now it may be his game of the year. Yeah, he was pretty clear about that, and he's put in the time too. I mean, he said something like thirty. Uh, plus hours over two weekends uh, on that game. I mean, it just, it, look, it sounds amazing. And I, I, I'm eager to hear your guys' take on it. It's just, it's so much game. I don't know that I, I don't know that it fits my style, but but it does sound pretty amazing. It is one of those games that uh, once we got going and we played, we played a six hour session this past weekend. Wow. And it's one of those games that you you go and then all of a sudden, oh, it's it's been six hours. Yeah. It just kind of just moves like that. So, yeah, I can understand if you don't have a lot of time, this is probably not the best uh, game for you. But uh, it's definitely one of those campaign legacy style games that you if you're going to play, you got to commit to it. Much like Pandemic Legacy Season 1 or something like that. Sure, sure. Yeah, I just uh, I got I, I don't know. Have you have you cracked into First Martians yet? I have cracked into it, and that's as far as I've got. I've gotten. I've not gotten a group to play. I need to. It's it's funny. the uh, The rules intimidate me. Oh yeah. And Rodney's video intimidates me because that sucker's at an hour, an hour long for a it video. Is, yeah, it's fifty three or fifty five minutes long. I got, and that is the expedited rules explanation. I have to tell you though, I remember Rodney telling me when he made the video, if you try to learn this game read the rules and watch the video and you'll be you'll be pretty well set. I read the rules, I watched the video. I have 5 trillion questions. It is a monster of a rule engine. However, that said, it's like any of those it's like Robinson Crusoe. It's like a, it, it while it's brutal and it just beats you down into the dirt, you do start to kind of see where you might there might be a crack of daylight. You know, it starts to hum along a little bit. It's it's broken down. Every scenario is broken down into souls or you know solar days mm -hmm. uh, on Mars. And right around in each of the scenarios I played, I've now played three scenarios. The the uh, uh, right around soul three or four, you go, oh, 
that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Here it mm-hmm. goes. Here we go. And you get the engine going just a little too late. But it is, it is, uh, and, and the setup and the takedown is also um, arduous, but it is uh, quite a game. It's qu- I'm really, really, really enjoying it. Yeah, I'm ready to jump into it. In fact, today, uh, September 20th, is uh, Ignacy and Portal just started doing their early uh, release event. Uh, they've given an update to the app today. There's a new scenario coming out. He's released a video uh, about First Martian. So if you have more interest in that, please go check out uh, the website at portalgames.pl. There, he's doing this whole pre-release event. Uh, the uh, the updated app supposed to include some extra things like maybe some some help. And uh, I know he was very concerned about, you know, the time it took to learn the game and everything. So he's trying to do everything that he can to try to give good tutorials in the app, try to give rule books in the app. Uh, he was out there online answering questions. He talked about this in our last episode when we interviewed him. He said, you know, he was on Reddit and BGG just answering questions as, as fast as he could. Uh, but it was funny. He said, like, over time, he realized he was answering them too quick because mm-hmm. a lot of the answers were in the rule book. So he said, after a while, he said, I just kind of waited. And then somebody usually would step in and answer the question for him. But anyway, he wants to make sure that people enjoy this game as much as possible. And he's there as a support uh, uh, for us that are learning it. I think that one of the, the most important things to come out of this uh, early release day uh, today is that uh, they're, they're putting an improved rules almanac in the app. And I think that that is probably the most vital piece of information to come out of today. Because I have found when I'm searching for a rule, while there is an index in the rule book, it's not exactly comprehensive. So sometimes you you have to kind of think, well, what could this, what heading might this rule be under? Uh, and sometimes it's not in the index. Some of the questions we had specifically about how the you know player counts, setting the game up for different numbers of players, it's in there, but it's buried a bit. So I I do appreciate, I know how much work Ignacy's put into this game. He told me about this game, I think, gosh, it feels like maybe a year and a half ago or more. Um, and I know he has really been pouring his heart and soul into this thing. I know it's going to find its footing. But like anything, you know, we early adopters just have to sort of struggle through some of the rules questions. And then eventually, it's going to be much easier. You know, if you give this a couple months, it's going to be a much simpler endeavor to learn this game, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, another reason why, too, I I love his release schedule. His next game that's coming out is Alien Artifacts, which is more of a simple card uh, deck building game, which is kind of not not deck building, engine building game, which is kind of his thing. So it's really cool. He's coming out. Okay, here's this big box experience. And then here's like an hour card game. So He's not like hitting this over the, you know, over the head because his next game after that's that detective game, which sounds like it's a pretty involved game. Yeah, that's right. No, I think he's uh, he's got a good um, sine wave happening. The the peaks and the valleys of complexity. He's he's got them measured out pretty well. You know, this past uh, Sunday uh, was uh, the Emmys. And uh, there's this anecdote. I don't know if you saw this now. Uh, you know, you are a madman, everything you attended the Emmys, right? Yeah, we went a few times. I don't know if you happen to see this. Uh, Sophia Vigera, Vigera? Vergara. So, Vergara. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sophia. I mispronounced that. I know you're listening. <laughs> I, I know she, yeah, she's tuned in today. <laughs> uh, she's from, uh, right now, she's currently on, on Modern Family. So when uh, she was on the red carpet, uh, somebody uh, asked her, her husband is Joe, I'm going to screw this up too, Maganello? That one I don't know. Okay. Uh, who was on uh, True Blood and then uh, uh, Magic Mike. Right, right, right. 
Yeah, do you know who I'm talking about, by the way? I, I know who you're talking about now. I can't. I don't know how to say his name either. Okay, we here, here around the house, we just say Joe Mellayello, and we know who we're talking about. <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates that. Well, Joe, I'm sorry. Sophia, tell Joe I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so they asked him, he said, tell us a secret about Joe that nobody knows. And they said, he is like the biggest nerd in the world. They said his his highlight, this is her speaking, the highlight of his life is to play Dungeons and Dragons. Ah. And uh, he said that uh, he gets like eight of his friends together. And I'm quoting, I do like a spread of food. He has a dungeon room downstairs in our basement. It's spectacular. I decorated it for him. I bring him food and he sits <laughs> there for like six or eight hours playing D&D. Wow. Wow. That is really, really cool. And I was telling my wife about it. My wife, who loves it when I bring friends over and stuff, and she'll bring down the snacks and everything like that. I said, I just can't picture Sophia coming down the snares and like, here, have some checks Mix, fellas. I'm going to be back upstairs. You know, this is funny. I, I once, um, uh, I, when my podcast first started a few years ago, I, I interviewed a, f- a gentleman named David Bakhtiari, who is a football player for the Green Bay Packers. And it had just- The offensive kinda- lineman. That's right. That's right. It had just come out at that time that the Packers really loved playing Settlers of Catan. And I I, I sort of posited a question to David uh, along the lines of it was something like, you know, I don't know if it was even a question. I think it was just a, a noticing, man, it's just, you know, fun to, fun to hear that you guys are doing this. And he sort of bristled a little bit. And he said, why, why is that so fun? Like, why is this so interesting to you, basically? And I said, well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, I, I think we find it interesting. I think people find it interesting because it's, it's fun to relate to you on a different level. We're used to watching you out there playing football. We know that's something most of us can't do. We know that we're either too old or we could never move like that. We didn't have the skills. We just weren't athletic. It wasn't something I could ever do. But to know that after you're done doing that, you often go and do the thing that I do, uh, play a, sit with your friends and play a board game. I don't know. That's, uh, I just found that so exciting. I I just always think it's interesting how because because I I have the same reaction you do when when someone like Sofia Vergara is talking about how her husband plays D and D and she decorated the dungeon room and everything. Why is that so such tantalizing information to me? I don't know why it is, but I still get sort of revved up about that. I think it's 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 exciting. Well, I th- I, th- I think like you said, it's relatable. For some reason, you picture athletes or you know somebody like that just in their own world, and there's no intersection between their world and our world at all. And when you hear that all of a sudden, oh my gosh, the intersection is this little hobby that we enjoy. It's just it's just like an instant connection. It's like I don't know, I don't know Joe. He obviously he doesn't know me, but I feel like I could just go up to him and say, hey, you know, uh, what kind of character are you playing in D and D? You know, I've got like an icebreaker at this point. Yeah, well, and you could also open with that you call him. Joe Mello Yellow, and then go to the D and D thing. I love that. Um, yeah, that guy's a really big dude and very buff. Uh, no, thank you, because he 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 would pummel me. But that's the other thing too. The the guy was in like Magic Mike, is like you know a, a stripper dancer. He's a Hulk of a man, and just like yeah, I'm just really geek heart that likes to play D and D. And in fact, he is trying to uh, get a Dungeons and Dragons movie underway. Really? Yep. Wow. He is so into it. He is trying to work to get that to the the big screen because he said he does, he's never felt the uh, property's been treated correctly. So he liked to have some, something done with it that's done well. The only Dungeons and, D- and Dragons interaction I can recall ever hap- having 
is because it's it's the theme of the game Lords of Waterdeep. Otherwise, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. I've never even stuck my toe into the theme. Like I said earlier, it just wasn't my thing for the longest time. But I've I've really come around on the whole fantasy thing, and I think it was again things like Summoner Wars, the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, things like that that sort of slowly started to draw me in. So it is something. Uh, I'd be up for a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Why not? If it's good. Well, you never know. You talked about at the beginning of the recording how you just started interacting with somebody, end up with the job. Maybe you go to Joe and start talking about D and D, and maybe start playing D and D with him, and he'll offer you a part in the next Magic Mike uh, three. <laughs> well, you've you've seen me in person, Marty. You know how stunning my pectoral muscles are. <laughs> Rich, I've seen more than I want to see, but that's uh, that's for uh. That's another topic. <laughs> oh well, no, I just think it's it's really cool to be able to uh, to re- to re- relate to, to somebody like that and everything. And shoot, I uh, when I first found out that this show that I watched called Mad Men had this one actor on there that brought board games to play on the set, I just immediately kind of related to you. It's like, hey, I I, I want to be I want to know and be friends with that guy. Who the heck would have thought? That here in 2017, I'd be chatting with him online. I mean, that's freaking cool. Well, see, there you go. Now, give it give it another couple of years, and you and, and Joe Mello Yellow can kick Tony out, and and uh, it'll be the show it was always meant to be. <laughs> I hear I hear Joe loves moon pies. <laughs> yeah. No, that guy looks like he's never had a moon pie in his life as, <laughs> as uh, fit as he is. Uh, you know, speaking of which, you mentioned uh, Lords of Waterdeep, which uh, you, Rodney, I, and uh, another good friend of ours, Dave Finkel, uh, ha- have been playing. And uh, that is a really good adaptation of that game for the phone and Steam. The UI and everything just works so well, Asmodee Digital, I think, is now distributing. It used to be from uh, Playdeck, but mm-hmm. they've done such a fantastic job on that game. The There was a recent update right before we started playing, uh, at least for the iOS version, because I've been playing on my phone or iPad, that completely uh, enhanced the experience. It was always a pretty good app, but uh, they put out an update really pretty recently, only a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, that mm-hmm. completely changed it. it. It changed the orientation of it, first of all, so you have to hold the thing sideways. But you get there's so much more of the map on the screen. There's so much more you can do from that main screen without having to sort of go to submenus and things. It's, it's really slick. And it, it was always good, but it's even better now. Yeah, and they came out with a Steam version, and I love the cross-platform capability because, Rich, you know, when you get into your 40s and stuff in late late 40s, the eyes just start going, and trying to play a game on a little 5-inch screen, you know, I'd much rather sit here and look at this 27-inch monitor to play uh, uh, Lords of Waterdeep, and thankfully, because of the cross-platform capability, I mean, you guys may be playing on iOS or whatever, and I'm playing on Windows, and it's great. Well, Marty, I'm going to be 40 in February, and I, I fully imagine that I'll wake up on February 2nd and and uh, not be able to see my phone. So I'm, I'm I'm I think that's how it works, right? It's actually not far from that. <laughs> I remember pretty soon after I turned 40, going to the eye doctor, and they do the little test. It's like, hmm, yeah, you're not able to read as close as what you used to. Get out of here! And it was like, yeah, I guess I guess he's right. Well, you know what? Let's go ahead and get into the rest of the show. We've got some uh, reviews coming up. Like I said, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, Seventh uh, Continent here. We're going to be talking about Codenames Duet that we pre-recorded with Tony and also Professor Evil and the Sit a Little Time. And Rich will catch you back at the end of this. See you then. 
If you happen to miss the pre-order for First Martian, well, it's about to hit retailers. That is right. First Martian is out and ready for you and your team to go and take on this uninhabitable planet. You don't need to terraform. Just survive like you did on the island with Robinson Crusoe. And don't forget, 51st State Expansions is in stores. And if you haven't discovered Nirishima Hex yet, do yourself a favor. It's a really fun game. Go check that out, too. You can check out this and all these other games at portalgames.pl. Hot Games at Gen Con, Professor Evil, and the Citadel Time by Passport Games. It was flying off the shelf. It was. This game, which is they brought to us from FunForge, designer by uh, Matthew Dunstan and Brett J. Gilbert, has come out with this co-op game with a really cool theme where you're basically trying to break into this Professor Evil's house. Now, he's evil. So I assume that he's misunderstood. Is not a bad thing. He's misunderstood. He's not evil. Well, yeah, but you're breaking into his house and you're trying to steal his loot. Now, typically that doesn't sound like a very nice thing, but again, because his name is Professor Evil, I will assume that stealing his loot is okay in this situation. Well, he's he's a historian and he's trying to save priceless treasures by going back in time and bringing them forward, but he's robbing other people. So. I guess we're the evil ones if you want to really twist it around. We're trying to steal his stuff, but he's got all these traps in his house. Yeah, he does. And so the thing is, though, in order to get to these treasures or, or loot, you got to turn off these traps and, and do so. There's, there's just basically there's switches around the house that you got to go through and, and flip off. So you break into the house. The board game is made up of basically a map of Professor Evil's lair or mansion or whatever like that. And you move in and you can move between rooms. Tony, when I first looked at it, somebody else said it almost looks like the clue board, right? Yes. Because there's a ballroom and a dining room. And at the beginning of the game, uh, the, the loot is set around the board and there's there's uh, three loot that's set out. And right in the middle, there's this big analog clock. And that's kind of the main mechanic of the game. There's a token associated with the loot that goes on one of the numbers of the clock. And each turn, the professor may move around the dial of the clock. If he ever gets on the part of the clock with this, that has a loot token, he captures that loot. So the goal of the game is he's trying to capture four pieces of loot your group is trying to capture four pieces of loot, and whoever does that first basically is the winner. See the Professor Evil, it's going to be you and the rest of your team. As the people trying to rescue these treasures, fine, I'll make them good guys for now. You have the ability to do three actions, plus you have a special power, and you have a deck of cards that you're going to flip over two of these cards. Now, Marty, the three actions you can open a door. You can turn off a switch, right? I mean, because you gotta get you gotta get it ready because the treasure is protected by, like you said, these various switches, and you gotta turn them off. They're spread out all over the stuff. If a treasure is no longer protected, you can grab the treasure, and after you perform three actions, or while you're performing your three actions, you can do one of these special cards. Now, I was playing the gambler, Marty, and my cards were like you can roll the dice again, or you can try to roll the dice and get a special effect. So you can do these actions, but when you flip these cards over as a player, you discuss among the group which one will be best beneficial during your turn. And now there's 12 of these cards and you get two at the beginning of each of your turns. So they help add to the actions you're taking. That's kind of a neat mechanic that I enjoy as a player. Also, I mean, when the clock goes past the 15 and the 45, the players may flip over their character card and you get an an ongoing effect or a very one-time special effect that can go in. But only one player gets to choose that. And we kept going to Mark Kale, who was playing with us from the Scurry Report. 
we kept choosing him because he could ignore Professor Evil. So that's also an action that you can do. So you've got all this co-op going on with which action should I take? How should I move throughout the house? You're working together as a team. Which person should use their special action? All that is going into how you're trying to defeat Professor Evil. Now, Marty, one of the, my favorite aspects of this game was Professor Evil. Now, you talked about him going around the clock picking up the treasure, but he also is in the room. He's trying to, he's kind of absent minded. He doesn't remember things very well. After you finish your turn, Professor Evil moves. To move him, you roll three dice. One die advances the clock counter clockwise. Imagine that. You could really screw that up, couldn't you? Uh, yeah, you could. So you got to move it forward on the board, and that helps him capture. He's either going to move five minutes or 10 minutes. The other two determine whether Professor Evil moves or how and how far he moves. What's more, as he walks through the rooms, he's absent-minded. He'll go, hey, I thought I locked this door. And he will, once he goes through it, he locks the door behind him. Or when he walks into a room, if a mechanism or a trap has been deactivated, he goes, I could have sworn I had that activated. And he reactivates it. So he's constantly foiling our plans. And that's one of the mechanisms I really enjoyed about this game is how you, it was random on how he moved. Now, that may upset some people that they don't know the, what the dice determine, how he moves. It could really frustrate you. And we had some of that. We had some of that frustration in this game. Well, I think that's part of the randomness you have to have in this game because at its core, if you kind of pull the theme away from it, this is a puzzle game. Yeah. Uh, the idea is that each of these treasures says, okay, this treasure is protected by this color switch or this color switch. And there's multiple colors of those switches on the boards. So let's say, for example, there's two yellow switches, two red switches. That means you must have people move throughout the house, find those four switches, flip them off. Then somebody has to get to that room where that loot is in order to pick it up while those switches are off. So there's the puzzly part, but the randomness has to be there because the professor, as you said, is moving through the house and you may have deactivated a red switch over here it just so happens you roll the dice. He moves back into that room and he'll turn that switch back on. That's a great. Now you can't pick up that loot. So I think you got to have that as part of the puzzle aspect. Otherwise, it would just be a straightforward puzzle game and kind of boring. It's just how fast can we do it? This does add some randomness, but also adds the frustration and, and actually some pretty interesting moments because it's like, please don't let him move into this room. It's like, crap, he just moved to that room and flipped that switch. Now we got to figure out how to get back over there. And if he ever ends up in the same room with you, he kicks you out of the house. It's like, get out of my house. And so you're back on the outside of the house and you got to crawl back in through a window. On your turn, you can do a move and one of them is crawl into a window of a room in uh, order to get back in. So this is constantly going on over, over the course of the game. And like you said, said, Tony, everybody has their own special ability. So there's these variable player powers that I really enjoy because that makes you kind of have to work together. And like I said, the clock mechanic is really cool because my ability was I can mess with time. So that black pawn that's on the uh, the clock, as it moves clockwise around the clock, closer to where your tokens are on that clock, it's like, great. We got to make sure that that black token doesn't end up on our loot uh, tokens on that clock. My ability was to be able to shift those tokens forward clockwise. So I wanted as much distance as possible between those loot tokens on the clock and the black pawn on the clock. But sometimes something would happen in the game that would pull those loot tokens back towards the black token, which shortened the amount of time that we had to get it. Again, another cool aspect. Let's say he's only two, uh, the black pawn's only 10 minutes away from touching uh, the green token and getting rid of the green loot. That forces us as a team as fast as possible to try to go get that green loot before he does. But it frustrated me to no end that it seemed like he was constantly sitting in a room where our treasures 
We, we couldn't get to him. And I was like, come on, professor, move. And the dice would roll, and he wasn't moving. You know, it was, it was the opposite effect of, the, of him moving. It was, oh, he's going to teleport to this, this treasure that we were fixing to capture. But I was like, it just, it just seemed like, and maybe I'm, I'm misremembering, but I don't think I am, that he was always... Oh, you in, probably are. No, I'm not. No, because we were sitting there. We've got to get to that stupid green switch. We had them all off, and he was constantly going back and forth between that room. And it was just mm-hmm. like, oh, man. And we couldn't get there. We could not move into that room because if he did, like you said, he'd kick us out and reactivate that stupid switch. And now you're having to waste your moves because you're limited. You only got three moves. And oh, it was, oh. That was one of my things. That's one of my abilities, right? I could have said, you know, take one of the treasure tokens and move it counterclockwise on the clock, but it would give me two additional actions. Yeah. So it's one of those things that, well, well, you know, if I move that uh, two spots, maybe I can go pick up that loot. It, it does seem to, there was, he was just hanging around areas that it seemed like we always needed to be. I do like the way that uh, the professor moves through the, the mansion. It's really straightforward. Mm-hmm. You roll a die and it says move the professor a certain number of spaces. And then there's a color die that says like move green, red, or blue. And each room is marked by an exit with a certain color. And basically, if he's in a room and it says, move three spaces blue, you move him through the blue door. And the next room, you move him through the next blue door, etc. So it's very easy to move him. And like Tony, like you said, if he happens to move through a door that was open, he turns around and closes it as he leaves. It's like, oh, there's one extra action we have to do in order to get in that room. Yeah. I, oh, and reactivate that switch. Urgh. Now, they ha- they ha- what's neat is you, you can start out with the easy mode. And like idiots, we did not. We started with with the, oh, we're advanced game players. We can play this in the hard mode where you put the big, what seems to, it kind of was kind of, uh, we were like, huh, why is this the hard mode? Where you have the, the ones that are 55 minutes away from the start of the clock. We were right. like, okay, this doesn't seem, but it was because you had to deactivate three sets of the traps versus the easier ones. We only had to do two sets of the traps. Right. And the really difficult loot was only 30 minutes away. From that, from the black pawn. So when a piece of loot is picked up, there's a uh, some decks of cards where you flip over a deck that has a name name of a room, and then you pick up a face down loot, and uh, the loot will tell you how many minutes away from where the black pawn is that you should place the loot token on the clock. So say for example, it's 45 minutes. So you move around the board, so you have 45 minutes where the uh, black token is now in order to find that, and then the other card tells you what room to place it in. That mechanically was pretty cool too. So for me, the biggest highlight was that whole time mechanic. Yeah. I thought that was just really neat how the loot tokens sit on the clock. You see how much time you have in order to go grab that loot. And then that black token that uh, moves basically on the professor's turn uh, it just shows it's like a ticking clock. I got to hurry up and go get that. That was neat to me. Also, the production of this game is out of this world. For an easier not an easy, not an easy, uh, a simpler co-op game to learn. Sometimes uh, companies will take the the easy path and just throw a, a cheap board out there with some simple stuff and not great art. This is a really nice board. This is, to me, Restoration Games has like top-notch production. Yes, right? Their yeah. boards are super thick. To me, that's what it's reminding me of. Mm-hmm. A real thick cardboard board, uh, some really nice tokens. The, the dies were, weren't didn't have stickers or anything. They were like embossed with the emblems and everything like that. So uh, production is top-notch on this game. But I'm going to tell you this, Marty. Tell me. Professor Evil, if it had come down to it, 
I would have kneecapped him with a lead pipe. I would have strung him up with a rope. I would have shot him with a revolver, or I would have hit him over the top of the head with a freaking candlestick at the end of this game. I was ready to take him out. Yeah, he's very frustrating, but that's good, right? When you play a co-op, you don't want one that's so easy. And we didn't really come close to winning our first game. I think when... Did we have two or three treasures by the time he got his fourth. I can't remember. We had two. He had three when we had one. It was like, well, let's reset this. Yeah, and that was our first game. You play more, you you get, it becomes easier, but don't be intimidated. You play your first game. If you get totally destroyed, don't get frustrated. You're just kind of learning the mechanics of the game and learning how to work together. Also, the the player powers that you pick at the beginning of the game are very important. You want to find three or four, how many ever players are playing together, you want to make sure that they synergize together because they are all unique. And as you play them, uh, you're going to learn what their abilities are. Like Tony said, there's only 12 cards and each time you're looking at two. So you cycle through your abilities pretty quick and you know what kind of cards is coming. It's like, I know I've got this really cool ability coming up that's going to possibly help me out. So again, with co-ops, multiple plays, it does get easier, but I don't ever think it gets too easy. But the nice thing is, if you feel like this game is really easy, they have advanced rules in the game to make it more difficult and easier for the professor to get the loot before you can get to it, which is always good in a co-op game. Yeah, screw that. I don't ever see that happening. <laughs> I'm sorry. So for, for me, I, I, I will definitely squirrel this game away and, and keep it on the shelves. I think it's a keeper for me and our casual game group. I, I'll enjoy playing this with you and even our hardcore gamers, Marty, because I think even though they got frustrated, I think if we broke that out there, they were like, eh, I could see them saying, okay, we will beat this game. Yeah, and a myriad of co-op games. It's one of those things that where uh, I think theme makes a difference. I think mechanics make a difference. There are a lot of co-op games out there right now that kind of have that same feel of you're on the board playing against the game. But so if it's something that you're interested in, I definitely recommend checking out. I know at Gen Con, people just love the game. They love demoing it. We've heard great things about it. They, they, sold out this is professor evil in the citadel of time from passport games uh it's one of their big games of the year sounds something like you may be interested in go check it out today five minute initiative begins in three two Since Origins, one of my most highly anticipated games coming out at Gen Con was Codenames Duet. Now, now hold on, everybody. I know before you're like, oh, another Codenames. This is not like Codenames Pictures or Codenames Marvel or Codenames Disney, where it's just the same game with different pictures. This is a totally different game where you are working together with someone else. This isn't like a a PVP. This is a 100% co-op game where you're trying to guess a a five by five grid of words that's on the table. Mechanically, it's the exact same way. You give a word and a number and and the person that you're working with tries to guess which words are you, you are referring to. But in this game, you only have nine shots in a normal game to try to get all the words on your card and they get all the words on their card because you're working with two different sets of numbers. Each of you are trying to find a certain number of words. It just so happens that three of them overlay each other. And there's three assassins, which makes it a little bit more difficult. But Tony, you've probably found out this game is not like a party game like Codenames. This is a really thinky little game. I've always enjoyed Codenames. I've always enjoyed being the 
giver because I like the challenge of trying to associate all the words the best way I can. And when I saw Duet, and you and I got to play Duet, I really, really enjoyed doing this. Matter of fact, I think I enjoy this more than the party aspect of it because of the two-player aspect of it, where when you get in code names, you know, some people can be kind of pushed away off to the side. They don't get engaged in it. So I was really excited about this game, and I enjoyed playing. I mean, especially I liked it when you gave me a clue, and I pointed to something, you go, I didn't see that. And I, I love that aspect of code names. <laughs> and with Duet, it's even better. When you're sitting there, you think you know this person, I mean, I played with you. I played with Donna. I think I know you too. You've been in my life the longest, but still, I didn't. I didn't know where you were going with that. So I really enjoyed Codenames Duet. Donna didn't. I'm like, why do you not like this? What? She didn't like it? Why? I don't. We won, but we were on the easy, easy, easy mode. But I think I need to get it to the table more. I'm not sure she's a big fan, but I am definitely going to keep bringing it out and convert her. Hey, I've converted her to a bunch of worker placement games. I can make this happen for Codename Duet. What Vanessa think? She really enjoyed it. So we went out to eat last week at a little local place around here called McAllister's. And I took the game in with me and we were done eating. I said, you want to try it? She said, yeah, sure. So we played one game. She said, that's pretty good. I said, would you try it again? She said, I'll play one more time. We played the second game. We lost the first one. Played the second game. We lost. She said, all right, we got to play again. We played the third game. We were in like two words of winning this game. It was her turn. She gave me a clue. I was torn. You're laughing. Do you know where this is going? I was torn between two words. And I said, I did not play it safe. I said, I think I'm going to go out on a limb. I know you. I pointed to a word. She said, that's the assassin. I don't want to play anymore. Put it away. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's what I love about this. When it's just the two people, you're like, we were so close. And you you do. You get that connection of, I know you. That's why I think, especially for couples, this is a great game. A great addition of the codenames. Better than Codenames After Dark or Codenames Marvel, like you were saying. This is one that I think a lot of people will enjoy, especially for those two-player games. It, I mean, Donna enjoyed the the Rose King from Cosmos. She she will like this game. She must like this game because I'm not giving it up. <laughs> That's right. But what's so neat is, uh, so what's different in here, you know, those cards that tell you uh, which are yours, they're double-sided. So your opponent can see, not your opponent, but the person that you're working with can see one and you can see the other side. What's interesting is both of you share one assassin. But there could be a word that's an assassin for you, but is a word that you're trying to get them to guess. So it's really tricky like that. But here's the thing. As these other editions come out, as the Marvel or the Disney comes out, there's no reason why you can't replace the words in this game with those cards. Right. So if you wanted to use those other cards, but just use the same cards for telling you which which are your words, you can do that. So this has a lot of aspects outside of the game itself by using those additional cards from the other Codename games. Yeah, you can mix and match. Because really, only in Codename's Duet is the big thing is the five by five grid and being the double-sided grid. So I agree with you. So I think that adds to the replayability. It's a no brainer. Just come off the hip with whatever it's going to cost. Go to Amazon right now, order it up, go to fun again. It's one of those games that I think you have to have on your shelf. Five minute initiative is complete. According to my Kickstarter emails, the second printing of Gloomhaven is coming to its backers, and I've still got buyer's remorse, Marty. (laughs) 
Still? Still. But it's such a good game. We've heard so many good things about it. Don't have buyer's remorse. Uh, so to add to that buyer's remorse, I think I am going to go ahead for that game and I'm going to get ready for it. And I am going to order from the Broken Token, the Gloomhaven Organizer. Because setup is a bear. I've already heard about it. I've already said, you know, you got to have it ready to go. So based on that feedback and the investment I've already put into it, I might as well go ahead and put the, get the organizer order, order. Because by the time the Gloomhaven gets here, if I have that organizer put together, it will save some of the frustration. So, yeah, I'm going to do it. Gloomhaven organizer from the Broken Token. If you're getting that second printing or if you already have the first printing and you're like, man, this thing is, oh, I just wish I had some way to organize it. Go check it out at thebrokentoken.com. Every so often, okay, many times, there is a large game that comes out that just goes beyond the scale of what Tony and I can talk about, which is why we introduced a few episodes, this that we call the Scurry Report. This is where we bring on a couple guys, Mark and Nate, who are probably just a lot smarter than what Tony and I are, to, to <laughs> discuss some of these more in-depth games. And the game that we want to talk about today is one that... It's an experience that I don't even know how to put into words. So let, before we get started, let me welcome back to the show, Nate Bivens. Hello. And Mark Kell. Howdy, y'all. Now, if you'll notice, Tony is not here because he's on vacation. And granted, he was here and there on other parts of this episode. But as I said, that was pre-recorded. And this is being recorded while he was gone, which is probably a good thing, guys, because we just sat through, what, a six-hour session. Yep of playing the game Seventh Continent from Serious Pulp. Now, this is a game that has just been delivered to Kickstarters. This was on a Kickstarter two years ago in September, October of 2015, and it's just uh, now getting into the hands of, of the backers. And this is one serious beast of a game. It was very successful, had 1.2 million pounds, and that may have been the weight of the box. Yeah, how many tons is that? Yeah, it, is a, it is a lot, because, and there is a lot going on in this box, and I was trying to put into words, like, what type of game is this? Is it even a category? Well, I mean, I would call it a dungeon crawl, even though, you know, we haven't seen a dungeon yet, but... <laughs> That's the feel I get from it. I thought about the dungeon crawl, but to me, dungeon crawl doesn't explain the scope that this game has. When I think dungeon crawl, I think zombie side or something along that nature. One that's like, hey, you know, we can get in there, we can play and we're done. Just to me, the scale and scope of this game deserves more than the dungeon crawl. I'm using air quotes. Nobody can see that, but that's you guys. good radio. Yeah. <laughs> What about Texploration? Because you're exploring and you pretty much read a lot of text. That's kind of what you do in this game. I'll tell you what I, what I really think, because I was thinking about this the other day and I almost forgot about it. But it's like if you took Tales of the Arabian Nights and you put an actual game into it. Because that's the same thing. Tales of the Arabian Nights tells that story. Yes. You know, and this kind of does the same thing. You, you have to go from one thing to the other. So that I don't know. That's kind of where it, where it leads me. Or Create Your Own Adventure. You know, when I was younger, I had the Create Your Own Adventure books 
and you would go in there and you'd have to make a choice, whether you, you know, you make choice A or choice B. And you could go back through the book after you finished it and you could make the other choices, you know, and I always would make sure I did it the other way just to see how it turned out. And it always had a different ending. We hadn't even said really what this game is all about. I mean, it's a huge exploration game. I, I guess I guess if it was Ameritrash and Eurogame, it's an Ameritrash game. It's a very thematic game, really based on luck. Yep. A, a luck mechanic. So we can throw out the, the kind of Euro mechanics. Not a single wooden cube. <laughs> no, exactly. Now, that's a very interesting component of this game because this game is really nothing but cards. There's a couple of cardboard bits uh, just to save the game and divide it up, but it's the rest of its cards. There are little miniatures that came in the Kickstarter for representing your character. So as you move around the map, uh, you, you have that. But otherwise, it's it's all cards. Yeah, but I think saying it's nothing but cards, I mean, they pack so much stuff into this card game that it's even hard to to think about well it's just a card. i don't think it's doing it just to say it's just a card game i mean it's a phenomenal card game what they do with just cards is mind-blowing yes exactly because they create these worlds and these maps with cards and they're they're decent sized cards they're almost they're well they're square i'm looking at them right now they're square they're what uh, two inches, two by th- two by two, three by three, something like that. And three and a half by three and a half. Is that what it is? No, uh, it's just a guess. I, I got a measuring tape. Sounded there. actually like good. I knew it's what kind of, it was. Yeah, yeah. And all the cards are the exact same shape. Some of them are maps, and the others mainly are basically like action cards. And is there's this mechanic in this game that is just amazing. Uh, what they do with it. This game is built on one thing. On your turn, you're going to basically do one thing. You're going to make skill checks. You're going to select an action and make some sort of skill check. And that is handled through this action deck that you have. But the action deck also contains the cards that you actually take into your hand that you can use over the course of the game. But the action deck is also your life. It's all rolled into one. Yeah, that's that's pretty neat how they made the uh, the deck that you draw from is also your timer for the game. Uh, you know, when you get to the end of that deck, uh, you've got like one more chance. And, and then if you don't get it, the, your game's over. You have to start over. Yeah, and your character-specific skills are in, the, in there. The items that you craft and uh, combine together are in that deck. So, yeah, it definitely packs a lot of punch. And the the other thing is, you didn't necessarily mention it, but the when you get hurt in the game, what that does, that mechanic that they use for that is it makes you burn cards quicker. So the more hurt you get, instead of putting some kind of cumbersome, you know, you can't move, you can't do this, you can't do that, it just burns cards. It just burns through that deck quicker. And I thought that was a really nice mechanic that they kind of rolled that into doing the same thing over and over, and it makes it easier to learn the game. But it's funny, starting the game out, you want to burn some of that deck because you've got to get cards in your hand. And maybe we should explain how this whole check thing works. And I'm just going to take a simple example. You may be on a little map card, and there's an icon there that has like a shovel, and it says you can dig here. And there's a, a couple numbers beside of it. One is the minimum number of cards that you can draw. And next is the number of successes that you have in order to do this skill check. So let's say, for example, uh, it was a one two, which means you can draw a minimum of one card and you're trying to get successes. Now, every card on there will have on the left-hand side, maybe a full star or a half star, a couple stars or no stars. And you flip over the number of cards you decide, let's say I'm going to dig and I need to have two successes. And I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to do four cards. So I deal four cards off the action deck 
and hopefully I get two full stars out of that whole thing. At that point, whoever was involved in that activity can take one of those cards and put it into their hand. So that's how you get abilities and crafts and items, but the other three go into the discard. So yes, you do get to take something into your hand, but you did just put extra cards in the discard that you might need later on down the road. And the other thing that uh, comprises this action deck are curse cards. So when you start the game, you have to shuffle in a number of curse cards into the game. And to begin with, they're all, they're really just blank for these skill checks. Later, they determine whether you win or lose the game. And the curse cards are basically the story that you're playing. At the beginning of the game, you're going to pick one uh, story to play. And uh, the first story in Seventh Continent is the Voracious God. Did I say it wrong? I think it's the Voracious Goddess. The Voracious Goddess, which is even better. Yeah, so you, you take, uh, it's like like a main story card type thing, and then uh, four other curse cards that are just interjected throughout the deck. And the first time you go through the action deck, no big deal. Basically, those are just misses at that point. So if you're going to do a skill check, you turn over a curse card, that's basically zero success. But if you go through the entire action deck, then all the thing that you're left with is your discard pile. At that point, whenever you have to do uh, checks, you draw from that discard pile, and if you ever draw a curse, the game's over. If you don't, you take all the cards you just drew. You can keep one, but then you have to shuffle all the discard, the discard pile back together and you draw from that. So every time there's a, a one in however many chance that you may draw a curse and those odds will pretty much stay the same unless you can add additional cards through crafting or getting additional skills. Yeah. And what I found was that really adds tension. Um, the first time we played, we're yeah, the, the very first time we pulled from the discard pile, we hit a skull and lost. Mm -hmm. And so that that really keeps the tension high whenever you get down to that discard pile. You really should should aim not to pull from the discard pile ever. And there are mechanics in the course of the game to pull cards out of the discard pile and put them back in the action deck. Uh, and the game that we play today, and gosh, what, we play like six hours? Yeah. Whoo, I'm kind of fatigued. And we <laughs> didn't finish. And it's one of those things that we got to be careful what we say because this is very much a this could be very spoilery. So we're trying to make sure we don't give away stories or anything like that. Just kind of give an overview of the game. But one of the things that, that I could do is uh, basically you can, you could hunt animals and you can make bonfires and you can take an, an action to eat. And what eating does is basically takes cards out of the discard pile and puts them back into the action deck. So it's kind of like refilling your health. That was one of the things I mentioned earlier too, was that I, I like that about the game because it's, you know, you're out on this continent, you're exploring, but you have to eat, you know, you, the explorers have to have sustenance. They have to go and find it. And then, but that works into that same mechanic, right? It's not, it's not fiddly. It's not hard to, to, grasp you just take the cards and you put them back in that draw deck and and that was really nice so we've talked about basically kind of what this game is and how it works now let's just give give our thoughts on the game we have put in about 10 hours we've played a couple sessions about 10 hours into it and i and i told the guys before we started this is not a review after 10 hours, you think we could do like an official review, but we haven't seen enough of the game to be able to do that. Yeah, before I review a game, I have to win it first. And we, <laughs> haven't, we haven't won one yet. And, but it's one of those things, and this is where uh, people are wondering, what happens if you die? Well, you reset the whole thing and go again. And that has a kind of a time stories feel to it. So if you're not a big fan of time stories where you have to kind of reset and go through it again, you may have some reservations on this one because that's kind of what it is. Now, I will say this, that uh, as you explore, there's a, this is, this is really cool too. You start out basically all your guys on the tile and there's a fog of war uh, cards or uh, that, ha that are set up around that map. 
Yeah, and what happens is when you say you want to explore, say, to the north, you flip over this random card that gives you some sort of encounter, and once you resolve that encounter, it could be a check. It's usually something bad that you kind of got to deal with. Then you get to see the next part of the map. Now, where if you start over again, the map won't change, but those encounters will change, so it will have a different feel. Yeah, that was something I was really interested to see. We we replayed. We lost the first time we played. We restarted over from scratch, and we did. We didn't really encounter any of the same encounters, and so I was interested in the replayability of those. I didn't feel like of the random encounters that that had sameness or was boring at any point. It was not. And it's one of those things, I guess, like in time stories too, you kind of learn what you got to do again, without giving anything away. We kind of realized, okay, next time we play this game, we need to do a, B and C. And we did a, B and C and we got a lot further into the game, uh, which brings up another really good point. We played for six hours. We're not done, but yet the, we've put up the game. How does that work? The game actually comes with a save state. There's a mechanic built into the game, and I thought this was really cool, where it explains to you how to save the cards. You save the action deck that you have. You save the discards. You save uh, the items that you have. And basically, you can come back uh, to where you were. You start out on the map tile that you were on, get your item cards back, reset the action discard pause, and you're off and running again. It's a great system because it allows you to play this game, this beast of a game you know, kind of casually in your home or with your gamer friends. And if something comes up or if you're running long on time, you can save and play it again later. Yeah, the save system, it's really neat. <laughs> that's, that's for you, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in this game is kind of driven by, like what you said, Mark, it's almost like a, a choose-your-own-adventure. Uh, I'm going to go to the north. Okay, well, then reveal uh, tile 132. And then you reveal file 132, and it says, okay, set up these tiles around this. Or... Make this check. If you fail, take card X. If you uh, fail, take card Y. And you never know what's gonna what's gonna happen to you until you dig through that stack and everything's set up in numerical order. You have to. They have this really nice uh, mechanic of having these little dividers every fifty cards, so you can easily find the cards. And there were four or five hundred cards that you kind of have to rifle through to find what you need. But it could be something that's good for you or bad for you or an item. It could be anything. So that was that was really neat too. See, there it is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, how you just never, it's like, okay, go get item 125. And after a while I go, is this going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Uh, so that was kind of uh, neat. neat. <laughs> Dang it, Tony. <laughs> I will say that that is one of my minor gripes of the game is at first I really enjoyed this choose your own adventure style and not knowing kind of what was going to happen. You know, it's like, Hey, do you want to, you know, drink this bottle of rum or something? And you, you don't know what happens, whether that's good or bad, but after a little while, it's sort of like you continue to make decisions and you don't have any information to base those decisions on. It's sort of like door number one or door number two every time. Right. And and that can get a little tiring sometimes. It's sometimes there'll be red herrings. You'd kind of go do a check or something and it was like, it's nothing that really is really beneficial. Or sometimes, and we found this out after our first game, we totally missed something. That was very important. And because we didn't have it, we actually ended up losing because we didn't have it. Right, that's true, and and that is another thing about the game, uh, and and it's about how we played our first game and how we played the second game. Is our first game we pretty much spent the whole game exploring every single thing on the tile. We didn't we didn't want to miss you know anything. Uh, we wanted to find all the things, and it was really cool to find all the things. Uh, the second time we really kind of streamlined through the whole scenario. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we didn't get through the whole scenario, but but what we did, we didn't spend a lot of time exploring extraneous stuff, especially toward the last couple of hours. We were just like, let's see if we can go find what we want to. And I think that's a tribute to the game because you could do it either way. You could you could spend you know all these hours exploring everything along the way. Or you can just try to get to your destination and complete that quest. I've heard some people compare this to a game like Skyrim, some sort of open world thing where it's like, there's a main quest, but if you want, you can go and explore whatever you want. Well, I, I think that is true. And actually, I wasn't really leaning toward that uh, sandbox theory in the game. But Nate actually, you know, made a couple good points about it in that, uh, you know, the way we went, we kind of went a different way just because we could. I mean, nothing that kept us from going that way, but we kind of went a roundabout way to get where we were going. So, so I guess it does kind of give that sandbox feel. And as we played the game, we had this big sprawling map out on the table that uh, you constantly revealing cards and, and you have what's, you're building out this, this continent. And so after a while you start to see there's like desert zones and mountain zones and, and jungle zones. And you said we kind of streamlined to the last part. We happen to have this uh, somewhat, uh, the, the first clue is like somewhat of, of a map. Uh, uh, and you, we kind of knew it's like, I think what we're looking for is maybe in this area. So that's why we kind of made a beeline to there, skipping a lot of the stuff along the way, just praying that there wasn't nothing that we skipped that we might need later on. Yeah. And that's one thing I have to comment on is the artwork on the cards. Whenever you're laying out this map with these cards, the artwork, uh, makes sense from card to card. It create, it creates kind of this mosaic of the seventh continent and it, it's just stunning on the table. It looks it looks amazing. You know, I told you there was like over five, six hundred cards. I can't imagine the designers trying to lay these things out and make sure everything points to every card correctly in the story and everything. The designers are oh geez, I'm gonna mess this up. Ludovic Rowdy and Bruno Sauter. Those guys must have had must have went through tons of post-it notes, like posting on the board. It's like, okay, this is going to be tile such and such. That'll point to this tile such and such, and this tile needs to have this map drawn on it. This one needs to have this drawn on it. Well, that uh, when we were playing the first time, I told Nate, I, I just envisioned people on a uh, cork board, you mm-hmm. know, with with yarn and string and the and the pegs, and they've got everything kind of this goes here and this goes there and this goes there. Like you see on the CSI shows. Yeah. <laughs> the organization design it had to take to put this game together is just incredible. It's it's just a feat that I can't believe a, a couple guys, you know, were able just to just on themselves do. And I heard it took them like a, a few years to do. And I could see it probably took them a couple years to get everything right. Yeah. The other really impressive thing is the writing. Uh, a lot of games that we that I see these days, the writing is subpar or feels rushed or, you know, kind of cheap. This has a ton of writing in it. And it actually is pretty immersive. It's very descriptive. The, it, it, the language is great in it. I mean, it yeah, it's probably some of the best board game writing that I've seen. All the flavor text we read. Every time we pulled a card, sometimes on the back there was some flavor text, and we read every one because it was somewhat important. And sometimes it was a clue because you'd read the flavor text and we'd go, oh, crap. And you would turn over and see, yep, that's something bad. So uh, it, it was immersive. Uh, we did talk before we recorded about when we first started the game, we were kind of into the story, but we lost some of the plot points along the way. It's like we were exploring, but we weren't finding out a lot of the plot points of the curse that we were working on. 
Yeah, we. I think part of it is based on our choices. We kind of went off the path. And to get back to the path, it was just going through these random encounters. And I kind of compared it to like playing Dungeons and Dragons and the DM is just rolling on the random encounter table over and over. And, you know, the first bit, that's fun. It's exciting. You don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, a couple hours of that into random encounter after random encounter, we definitely were getting a little fatigued. And we were, it was clear we were all ready to get back to that plot. And speaking of uh, fatigue, I, I know I, for the one, was kind of, about ready to hit the save point before you guys were. And it was because there's a lot of discussion. It's not just uh, uh, move, 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 move. Every time you do a check, all of us look at all the cards that come out. Nate, does this card, does it help you any? No, I don't need it. Mark, do you need this card? Well, I, I might need to keep that one. Or Marty, maybe it's better. For Every time we had cards to choose from, we had a discussion about it. And that's what really draws the game out because you want to be as efficient as possible because you got limited number of cards in your hand and limited, limited number of items that you can craft, which is another cool feature too, is being able to craft items that you get that have the durability that actually go away after a certain amount of use. And you also have to discuss who's actually going along on it. I mean, because that's a very important part of it. You know, a lot of times we're like, well, we don't want to send Marty because he's in this state right now or poisoned. Well, overly poisoned, (laughs) way, way poisoned. And then poisoned again. (laughs) Um, You know, so, so yeah, we wouldn't send him or we'd be like, yeah, Nate needs to go because he's got this thing that will really help when we get over there probably. And so, yeah, it does take a lot of discussion, but it was enjoyable. As I was fatigued as I was, and I'm like, I'm I'm kind of ready to stop. We kind of got to a good stopping point and we all decided, you know, this is a point in the game. It's like, it really makes sense thematically which is kind of nice too. This will hit our save point here and then we'll pick this up. But after we started talking about 30 minutes later, I told these guys, I'm, I'm kind of itching to see where this now goes from this really kind of cool spot that we just found. Yeah. And I, I felt that way this, the first time too. Uh, I mentioned, you know, we played for maybe three or four hours the first one before we died and lost. And when I got home, I went straight to eBay and was like, okay, how, how much is it to pick one of these up? Cause I really want to play like tomorrow. <laughs> and what's uh, neat is oh my gosh i said it again <laughs> what was that talking about? oh jeez uh the kickstarter original kickstarter came with uh three expansions which comes with some additional cards uh terrain cards plus uh three brand new curses or 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 adventures and the fact that we didn't even finish the first one tells me that there are tens and tens of hours in this game that, that can be spent tr- trying to get through the whole thing that will bring to light my only concern about it is that I am a little concerned about it getting samey mm-hmm. after you play through because it looks like all the curses that are in the base box use that same map. And I'm just concerned a little bit about how it's going to be, you know, once once you've played through all the map, you've seen all the map tiles. I know going through the uh, the action deck, you know, we, we've already kind of gotten to the point where we're like, uh, this this card, yeah, we don't want that. We don't want that, you know, because we've already seen it three times. So we, we've already turned it down three times. So we know that we don't want it, you know. Uh, so that that's just a little concerning for me. Yeah, and I was going to say, even even those random encounters, as cool as they are, you know, it might be, oh, there's a blowfish and do you want to, you know, eat it or do you want to put it back in the water? And you don't know the outcome of that cool encounter. You know, we played 10 hours. If we have 30 more hours in the box, that's 40 hours of these, uh, you know, largely random encounters. Is that 
still fun 30 hours later. Right. And everything works the exact same way. It's always that types of checks. But I will say the fact that we're talking about a game for 10 or 30 hours of gameplay, if it's not fun in the 30th hour, I can still probably say I've got my money's worth. I mean, that's ridiculous value. That's a good point. And it also uh, leads itself back to the the sandbox theory, right? Like if, if you're playing Red Dead Redemption and you go off on a path that's not the path of the game, you can do that for 10, 15, 20 hours. So eventually you have to get back on that path. Part of what we did tonight was we kind of went off on the wrong path. If we had stayed on the same path, it probably wouldn't have taken as long and, and we wouldn't have seen a bunch of the cards over and over and over and over. So here, here's the question, guys. We're uh, kind of getting to the end of the Scurry Report segment. So we are at a point in this current quest, and we don't have any clue how much is left. We could be almost at the end, or we could be only two-thirds of the way through. We kind of know the situation we're in with our discard and action deck. We're kind of on our last leg. If we die, do you guys want to reset this up and do it again? Not the whole thing. No. So you would maybe want to house rule it and maybe start at a certain point? I would certainly do that. Like, especially the very first part of the game, not to give anything away, but the very first part of the game, I, I don't want to do that again. We, we've done it twice, but I would have no problem with saying, you know, we're at this point and we can restart here and, and going from there and doing it. Yeah, I'm the same way. I would either play a different curse uh, and try to explore some of those other stories or like you're saying, house rule it and start, you know, where we died, for example. Uh, I, I would not start it over from scratch again with this curse. And it's interesting because when I read the very first curse is also the longest curse because it's introducing you to all the types of mechanics. It's introducing you to the continent so you can kind of see what the map looks like. And they said after that, actually, the rest of the curses are a lot shorter. Uh, because I was asking, I said, well, if the first one's so long, should I start with a, le- a second one? They went, no, 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 no. You need to play the first one to make sure, number one, you understand the mechanics. Two, so you can see a lot of this map. Because we did get to see a lot of the uh, the continent as we played this uh, particular curse. Yeah, and especially with casual gamers. <clears throat> I mean, this is a perfect game to introduce like to my wife, who doesn't like to play games. Because it's full of story, and it, it and it's cooperative. And it, you know, is more about exploration than... Uh, you know, a lot of other themes that games have, but knowing that the first adventure is 10 hours, maybe let's say six hours to be, you know, conservative and optimistic. She's not going to play a six hour game. And so this game is inaccessible to her, even though it's fairly rules light and easy to learn. And again, uh, everyone, this is somewhat our first impressions after two playthroughs of the same, of the same curse, uh, 10 hours in and we haven't completed it. So no, this is not a complete review. You are just hearing what we feel right now, but I do hear all of us saying that, you know what, if from the save point, we do want to kind of get it back to the table, kind of see, cause we've kind of gotten to an area you haven't seen yet. So we want to see what's in there. Uh, how, how is this story going to end up? And if we have to, and if we die and, and start over, well, then maybe we kind of reset from that save point again, and try it again. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I can't wait to get back into it. It's just not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After, let's see, uh, we've also ate a lot of barbecue today and a lot of pizza. So Some beer. Kind of, so, yeah, exactly. Now, here's the thing is, uh, if you're interested in this game, they're actually getting ready to put it back on Kickstarter again. This is going to be coming out on September 26th. So, Sirius Pulp is getting ready to put their second 
uh, release of this game. And there's going to be some additional stuff that's not in this first game. So if you missed it the first time around, and if you have interest in this game, by all means, uh, there are a lot of people that are talking and covering this game right now. Go get their thoughts on it. See what they think. See if they have the same thoughts that we do. Go out there and uh, listen to other people who have maybe played through every single quest. Maybe they have put 80 hours into it and see what their thoughts are. This is just our thoughts from right here uh, coming into it. This is, you know, it's funny. Any other game after 10, 12 hours of play, I'd say, okay, I'm ready to talk about this and give this a full thumbs up, thumbs down or whatever. But I'm still like, I need to dig more into this one. Well, if it's any testament to it, I'll definitely be checking out the Kickstarter to see, you know, what what the pricing is and everything on it and giving it some serious consideration to get in the game for myself. And for me, my only reservation with the second Kickstarter is that I don't want to wait for it to fulfill again. I'm sure fulfillment would be much quicker this time since it's already been printed. So that's why I'm looking at the eBay route, even though uh, I don't know if my wife will like that. <laughs> well, the nice thing is, is hopefully on September 26th, when it posts, they'll have when the expected delivery date is. Yeah. And from what I've heard, uh, they've told me that uh, fulfillment will not take nearly as long because it's pretty much already printed. Yeah, if it's longer than a week, though, I, that's too long for me right now because I, I definitely want to play it again, try to get my wife into it. So Cool. All right, so again, everybody, that's Serious Pulp. That Seventh Continent, is, to be honest with you, is probably one of the most innovative games I've played in a very long time. Again, because this is just a card-driven game with only one, or there's only one action. There's only one thing that you do, and it's a skill check. Another thing, I didn't mention this too before we wrap up. Another thing that was kind of throwing me off too, there's no like... Uh, player turns or limited number of actions you do whatever you want to do mark you could sit there and go 50 times in a row if you want and then we don't go that's good but it's also somewhat bad too because if you're not careful somebody could get bored it's like well i kind of want to draw a card i kind of want to do something yeah just on that there were a couple times to where y'all kind of just let me keep going and i you know, I didn't want you to get bored. I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure you want me to keep going? Like, yeah, y'all just keep going. Keep going. It's because we wanted you to step on the poison sea urchins and let, we'll let you get bit and stuff. Instead of Marty. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't need that happen anymore. So again, this is a Seventh Continent coming out again soon. Uh, and uh, guys, we'll get this back to the table and see if we can get through that first curse. Yeah, we're going to do it. Yep, sounds like a plan. One of the games that I got to play at Origins that I was so excited about was a game that's coming out from Games Workshop, and it's called Warhammer Underworld's Shadespire. I think most people just call it Shadespire. This is a miniatures game from Games Workshop that's kind of a way to bridge the gap between board games and miniatures games by providing this little skirmish miniature game that's played on a board that can be played in just a matter of 30 minutes. To help me talk about this, I have my son, uh, Travis, that's going to join me. Now, Travis has been on before. I, I view Travis as mainly like an RPGer and a miniature gamer, whereas I'm more of the traditional board gamer. So I want to see, as a person who's really into miniature games, how does this fly for him? Is this a game that he'd be interested in? Likewise, as a board gamer, is this something that I would be interested in? So, Travis, thanks for coming back on, man. Thanks for having me back on, Marty. <laughs> you're, uh, uh, you're welcome. So... We got this game. We've uh, been checking it out. Now, let me just say, right off the bat, this is a Games Workshop game. As always, the production is top-notch. Definitely. Phenomenal. They even decided to put details onto the base. I don't think I've seen that before, where the bases they actually give you in the box have, you know, rocks, skulls, cracks on them. I've never seen that. 
in, in fact, let's just talk about the miniatures real quick. Board gamers are going to be, oh no, miniatures, got to put them together, got to paint them, I'm out. Would you believe that these things are pushed to fit? I was putting these together the other night. They, they are pushed to fit and they will actually stay together. I was putting a little dab of glue here and there just to make sure, but I didn't really need it. So each of these miniatures may be only two or three parts. They have great rules on how to put them together. And I had these uh, models and I think there were seven total together in a matter of 30 minutes. Yeah, seven, eight models, 30 minutes, way faster than any other miniature game out there. Yeah, well, especially the typical, like, we've got Dark Imperium, and that's, uh, you know, all these sprues and all these little bits, and everything has to be glued. Even though they're still easy to put together, it's not the push to fit like right. we have it was. It was still more pieces per model, and then, like, more things you have to deal with. This was just, like, super straightforward, two sprues total, eight figures, like you said. Push to fit, super easy. And but the de- they didn't they did not sacrifice detail. For there's the, the word sacrifice. No, the detail is just uh, immaculate as always. So if you have no interest in gluing, no interest in painting, you don't have to because the the starter set comes with uh, two armies. Each one are, are color coded. So there's a red and there's a blue. So it's easy to tell what's on the board. If you're into painting, you for sure can, but you don't have to. So the card stock's great. The boards are great. Nice tokens. Nice miniatures. Top production but let's talk about the game itself this game is presented as a game with very few models on a board that will play over the course of 30 minutes it's your typical skirmish type game it is and one thing i like about it is that not only are there less models to keep up with so you don't have to like have eight or nine different models that you have a bunch of different wound trackers on and then not even that but like single wound units and then you just got to keep pulling them off the board no it's still right now a total of eight models on the board. You can easily tell that's the enemy. These are mine. And not only that, but the board itself is super manageable. And, and it comes with uh, two game boards, and they're both uh, like uh, rectangles, and they're they're double-sided. And this is actually part of the game because when you come into play, you bring as many uh, board tiles as you want. Now, right now, there's only two. But the idea is there's a roll-off at the beginning, and somebody will get to place their board first, either side. The opponent will get to place theirs, but it hasn't got to be lined up exactly. And I thought this was kind of interesting. The board is made up of hexes. The only rule is is that you got to at least match up at least one hex or uh, some hexes with the existing board. So they don't have to be flush. They can be off-centered, creating some very interesting board layouts where you have like this, you could have this narrow, thin pinch point right in the middle of the board. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something different. Like the actual board layout... Like in 40K, the only difference would be if you had like train or something. And again, this is just something else that is Shade Spire is much more manageable. Each time you play the game, it could be something different with different like layouts of objectives and tiles. You had mentioned the objectives, which is another important part of the game. For just two players, there's going to be five objectives. And this is kind of interesting too. You take the objectives face down and shuffle them. They're numbered one through five. And then one, one at a time, each of you place the objectives anywhere out on the board. And at that point, you flip over the objectives so you have no idea where they're going to be. And this is very important because a main part of this game is managing two decks that you're going to have. One's a power deck, one's an objective deck. This objective deck consists of 12 cards that you uh, uh, bring in, build, and it could be like hold objective number one. Until the end of the phase, or or do you have objective two at the end of the phase, etc. So you don't know what the other person's trying to do, and you don't know where the objective is going to be right when the game starts, which is very much a a major part of the game. Granted, 
the game has that very miniatures feel of, hey, I'm going to go up against you. We're going to roll some dice. Whoever has the higher is actually, you know, the attacker wins and going to deal damage. But I think the overall big strategy part of the game are those decks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the things is that since it's like a deck, it's random. Your objectives are random. Where they are on the board is random. And you don't know what the other person is trying to do. Usually in a miniature game, there is one objective for the whole game. And that's what both of you are trying to do. There's no changing that out. There's no secrets. It's just, you know, usually king of the hill, assassination. Those are the usual kinds. Well, in this one, it's it's everything. And you can even swap them out. So if you, if you did get lucky and you have objectives near you and you have the objective stand on the one near you, th- that's good. Because the main point of the game is actually getting these glory points. And these glory points are typically obtained through medium your, your objectives. So the course of the game is it takes over three rounds. And in each round, there's an action phase and an end phase. So the major part of the game is the action phase. And during the action phase, each of us can take four activations, which can be one of several things. You can activate a unit and move it. You can activate a unit and attack somebody else. You can do a charge where you can move and attack, but then he can't do anything the rest of that round. Uh, You can draw new objective cards. Like you mentioned, let's say one of the cards in your hand is objective for objective that's way on the other side of the board, and you think, I'm never going to get there. So one of the things you could do is try to go through your objective deck, try to find the one that's closest to you and try to score that quickly. So you have all these options that you can do during your turn, but there's only four. And one thing I like about this different from like 40K, it's alternate activations. You go, I go back and forth until four of them are done. Definitely in 40K, especially if you're playing a super infantry heavy army, there is a lot of downtime. And this, like the max you could probably do in one turn is move and attack. And that in itself can take less than two minutes. So with just the constant back and forth, you're able to just keep both players engaged. And that'll definitely be something that can bring people into miniature games who are usually just into board games. And after each activation is when you could uh, use this other deck. There's this power deck that you have. And there's two types of cards. There's like an upgrade card, employee cards. Upgrades can be used in order to basically add attachments to your existing units, give them additional abilities, give them additional uh, uh, weapons. Uh, there's also ploy cards, which are like an instant, like in Magic, the old instant card. It's like, I'm going to do this. It's a temporary thing. And then it goes out of play. One thing I do like about those upgrade cards is that you must have glory points in order to use them. Again, you can score glory points by either completing objectives or if you kill off another person's unit, you get one. But to activate, to put an upgrade into play, you just take one of your glory points, flip it over, and then you could put that into play. Now, you don't lose that glory point. It's just there that uh, to indicate that you know, you've already used it and you can't be used again for another upgrade. So again, even though you just moved, I can still play those power cards at the end of my turn. So very little downtime. And in fact, this whole game is supposed to take place in 30 minutes. And once you know this game, this is easily played in 30 minutes. Easily. Another thing with the decks, it's pretty comparable to the new stratagems that they're putting into 40k 8th edition. And I just feel like, again, it's another way to bridge the people who don't play miniature games to the people who do play miniature games. Also, I think the rule book was pretty easy to follow. It's, it's very well laid out. I think the only thing that I had to kind of keep referencing to is actually the combat sequence. Uh, even though it's, it's pretty much there's some attack dice and there's some 
defense dice. Yeah, definitely not as much as like 40K's weapon skill, ballistic skill. And then when you take the damage, there's the toughness. And then there's also, <laughs> you got to make sure your, your mouth, don't forget the leadership. But then there, even that, there's your saves that you can get. Oh, ooh. Yeah, there, there's a lot. The only thing that I had to keep, we had to keep looking at was there's these uh, icons on the die that we had to kind of keep, okay, well, what is this icon for? for? For example, on the defense die, my guys were looking for shield icons. Your guys were looking for... It was kind of like a curvy arrow meant like getting out of the way. Yeah, dodging. <laughs> like a dodging uh, thing. But then there's also these other icons on there that indicate support. So if it just so happens that there's a guy standing beside you while you're being attacked, you can get support from that guy to where that uh, additional item on the die will help with the defense. Likewise... On the attack die, that same emblem is also there so that if one of your guys is standing beside a guy that you're attacking, it makes it easier to hit them too. So there is support that comes into play. It's very tactical in that case. And then we had to make sure we understood how the successes worked out. Resolving successes. The only thing that both of us were like, oh, that was kind of weird, was there's this one situation where you rolled three attack die. I, ha- I rolled three attack dice and I had three successes three was, three successes by showing the axe which you needed i had two axes and then i held one for the aid which did work yes and then as a defense i rolled the one and got what's called the critical success icon and the rules state if you have more critical successes than the other person even though you have more successes overall that attack fails so essentially even if you only have one die you still have a one in six chance to completely win i I guess what they were going for is if you are totally outnumbered you're not going to completely lose all the time there's still a way for you to win which which looking at it from like that does make sense but from just like a common sense standpoint it would kind of it's just kind of silly that three successes loses out to one exclamation point. Yeah. But I, I, I think, again, thing, it's just like your last ditch effort. You know that you actually still have a very small chance of going in there and possibly winning. Now, this is a game that's not meant to be just this game comes out and that's pretty much it. This is the core set. The idea is that this game is going to be established, going to have, I don't know, want to call it a, a lifestyle game per se, but it's one of those that you'll be able to play as they introduce new war bands. And in the, in the rule book, they have three additional war bands are talking about coming out with, well, it comes with the Steelheart Champions and the Garrick Reavers, but there's also going to be coming out the Iron Skulls Boys, which is like the Orcs. The Chosen Axes, which are the Dwarves. The Sepulchral Sep- Guard. Sepulchral Sepulchar Guard. <laughs> Undead. And I said there was three, actually four. And Spike Claw Swarm, which is the Skaven, or the Rats. Uh, so another thing, manageability, which is something that this game does a great job of. Like, if you want to get into a miniature game, like, well, since we're talking about GW, let's talk about Warhammer. If you want to get into 40K and you're just like, you know what? Uh, Space Marines look pretty fun to play. Well, Ultramarines, Blood Angels, Space Wolves, Dark Angels. Like, there's just so much, too much. It's like, causes your brain to go into overload. This, you got seven ones. You want to play as just, you know, dudes in armor, dudes with axes. It's got, it's just super simple, super manageable, a great way to get people in. There's just seven distinct different factions, a great way to get into, like, something that would have a bigger selection. I think we said uh, seven. I think it's six right now at this point. There are two right now, and there will be four more. <laughs> Which that is the final uh, two word. Two plus four is uh, yeah six. So anyway, uh, yeah, that, and that's nothing we made the point of, too. It's not like right now, uh, if you were to play as uh, the, uh, the Steel Hearts champions. Which are the only humans, th- by the way. Humans. There's only three models. 
And right now they're not going to be introducing additional models to modify your warband. Once you know those three, that's it. If you're playing against opponent, you know exactly what they got. Then you want to wonder what's the big deal? The thing, the strategy is, is how you build your objective deck and how you build your power deck because they come with starter uh, decks for each of those, but there's an additional pack of cards that you can modify each of those decks and totally change your overall strategy. That's where this game is going to succeed is on the deck building mechanic. Even then, even though it's not like the grand strategy and tactics that, uh, a big miniature game is it still has things that'll like get you thinking in this direction. Like in this one, there was a uh, objective where if all the enemies are dead, you gain like five glory points at the end phase. Well, it would make sense if you had more people to get that because you have more people to kill the other person, especially if they have a lower number, such as the, uh, well, number one, the humans only had yeah, three humans only had three. So I, when I got that objective at the beginning, I was like, I'll definitely keep this. I'm outnumbering him. It'll take longer for him to kill me than it will for me to kill him. And just because all you guys lose doesn't mean you lose the game, right? It comes down to glory points. At the very end of the game, you may have an objective like I did. You beat me. All my guys were gone, but at the end, I had an objective that said, as long as there are no enemies in my territory, which there didn't happen to be, I scored three points. Yeah. In fact, if it wasn't for that one gain five glory points card, even though I killed all of his, I would have lost. That's right. I, I think that's a good way for people to realize, like, again, manageability, getting into war games, realize that objectives are what's important. It might be fun to shoot the enemy, but when you have to stand over here, you should probably go stand over there and get and get those points instead of going for kill. So Travis, as a miniature gamer, did this appeal to you at all? This is going to be one of those that's going to be supported in organized play. Games Workshop wants to make sure that there's a tournament support for this. Uh, is this something as a 40k guy, as a guy who just got his Death Guard Codex, as he's building out his 1500 point list, does this appeal to you at all? I do like the skirmish. I like it being on a smaller scale, but I think when it comes to like the dudes who play uh, like the apocalypse rules for 40k, I don't think they'd be interested because if they're going into apocalypse, they want large number of folks. They want seven plus hours of rolling dice. They want to crunch. They want to pull out their scientific calculators and see how many people die. But for me, I do like it. I like how manageable it is. I like how small it is. I like how distinct everything feels from like each other. I think it's good. I just don't think it will appeal to like the people who got into 40K for the massive armies. But for board gamers, for our people just getting in, this is perfect. Absolutely perfect for them. And it's coming from a board gamer. I 100% agree. The models are easy to make. It's played on the board. There are no rulers or anything like that. So measurements is, is very easy. There's not terrain you got to build. The terrain is almost the, the map changes is how you lay out the boards at the beginning of the game. It's uh, each of the factions will feel totally different. There is organized play in case you want to do that. You can do some pre-deck construction going in to make every game feel a little bit different. To me, as somebody who maybe you want to dip your toe into miniature games i think this is a good step and this is what this game is supposed to be the only thing we don't know is what the msrp is i really really hope games workshop comes out with the msrp of like 50 bucks or less just to make that the easy to get into and i really hope i'm the war bands are 30 bucks or less agreed because probably the biggest barrier of entry for miniature games is the price point even like the start collecting boxes that's like $75 a piece right there. The start collecting for 40 k start collecting. And like it says, that's start 
collecting. And then you get a few uh, infantry, maybe a vehicle here and there. It's it it adds up. And with this, if it you just buy your army, buy maybe an expansion or two of the cards, just a fraction of the cost of what 40k or Age of Sigmar would be. This comes out in October. I really enjoyed it when I got to play it at Origins. Uh, playing it again, I, I just really enjoyed the back and forth combat. I haven't gotten to all the deck building yet, but that's going to be coming. I think this game could really do well on the tournament circuit. I really think it could do well for people that want to maybe get into miniatures games. Like Travis said, if you're already in a 40K and playing 2,000 or 5,000 point games, maybe this doesn't tickle, or, or Age of Sigmar. Let's put it in that universe. Yeah, it this is, we keep one. saying 40K because we play 40K, but this is the Age of Sigmar universe. If you're already playing that and it's like, I don't really want to deal with a small scale army, maybe this isn't for you, but for everybody else, I definitely think this is one that you should check out. This is Warhammer Underworlds Shade Spire coming from Games Workshop this October. We just finished and catching out a lot of this uh, pre-recorded content. And Rich, I just got to ask you, what what did you think of Professor Evil in the uh, this little time that Tony and I talked about? I thought your talk was uh, engaging <laughs> and thorough and totally on the money. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I just kind of threw him under the bus because like he hadn't heard this yet, you know. Just no, he he. Neither has he heard your segment nor played the game. So <laughs> that's I really right. Had very little to offer. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. So. <laughs> One of the things we're very excited about on the show is to uh, help support our good friend, Kevin Burkhardsmeyer, uh, which may known as a, a Berkey, as he's got a brand new Kickstarter that started actually today called Game Toppers. Now, for anybody that went to Gen Con, uh, what uh, this is, is this is like a custom made tabletop to go on top of your existing tables that gives the nice full rich look of a gaming table complete with rails and has uh, little inlays and it has wooden rails and it's very comfortable it has cup holders and all this he brought those to gen con to, to hand out to vendors to kind of uh, let people get a chance to look at and everything well his kickstarter started today and it is killing it his goal was uh, $50,000 he's well over a hundred thousand these things look really good and uh, i tell you, Rich, if you don't have a gaming table, uh, you ought to go check out this Kickstarter because it's one of those things that you could just kind of throw on top of a table and you're good to go. Marty, you've seen my table. It's a uh, World Market original from about 12 years ago <laughs> that uh, you can pretty easily pick up with one hand and take out to, say, a parking garage to play Don't Mess With Cthulhu Over Cigars. I, I do not own a gaming table. I am always looking for a way to enhance this table. I did just kickstart uh those neoprene mats from was it giant viking mats or something like that 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 is uh perfectly cut to the size of the table but i heard about berkey's kickstarter and i have been waiting with bated breath for it to launch i don't know yet what the price points are but i'm definitely looking into uh i don't know why i'm married to this table but i am not giving it up it still has four legs that all stand up so i i definitely want to look at one of these toppers to uh, upgrade it they range anywhere from like 299 to up to like 800 and something and and that's different sizes and that's also included uh different uh like i said they got cup holders and dice holders and so and and the different mats that you can put into it so it's a lot of a uh, customability uh behind it but there's a couple different sizes you can choose from and then add options to that um, it is very well built uh, it does separate in two pieces it comes in a bag uh, and like there's uh, some of our friends like uh, uh, Jamie over the secret cabal and uh, Chaz 
from uh, Paradise Paradise and Joel Eddy from Drive Through Review all have these and use them in their videos and they're reviewing it and everything. So if anybody wants to go check those out, uh, go check out those guys' YouTube channels and you can see exactly what this thing uh, looks like. But it looks great and I think it's going to be a, a big hit for him. I'm in. I definitely want to want to check it out. Yeah, because uh, I, I must admit, as as many memories as I had on that little table of yours, uh, having a nice little uh, you know topper thing would would have been nice. Because I probably a couple times I probably knocked some dice off the table and everything. Hey, I will say this: that when I look back at 2017. One of the most memorable experiences that I've been to origins and I've been to Gen Con and I've done a lot of great things in gaming, but one of the top memorable experiences is sitting out at that table with you and Rodney and Dave sitting in the parking lot playing don't mess with Cthulhu and having cigars. That was a really good time. It was honestly one of the very few things I was going to miss about the, you know, I used to have my board games in an actual office in an office building. That was where we played that storied game and it was it was uh, it was it's one of my favorite memories of the year as well. I will say that now that I have a backyard, we could we could have cigars there too if you want yes. to come. Yeah, oh, I, I still want to come. and we could juggle out there too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, because come to find out, like all of us like juggling, and like Rodney does videos with everybody that juggles, and then posts them on his YouTube page. I think that must be just the thing he does. You know, it's funny the one we got with you, uh, uh, black in black in L.A. That's good. Back in L.A. Uh, uh, several months ago, that was the first time that you got to sit down and played The Godfather. That's uh, right, uh, the board game. Uh, so interesting story. <clears throat> I suck at teaching rules. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. Uh, this past week, I t- took uh, Godfather to a game group, and uh, I thought, yeah, I got this. I could teach this. I've played this multiple times. So I teach them all the rules to the Godfather. And this is the game from Eric Lang, this uh, available from uh, CMON. And it's, yeah, it's core. It's a worker placement game with some area control. And the whole mechanic is, is when you place a worker, you're either shaking down what's called shaking down the front of the store or the back of the store. Basically, it's an action that you, you get to take. So we played this whole game. And people just had the best time in the world playing. Next day, next day, a friend of mine contacts me on Messenger and goes, um... Can I ask you about this rule? Now, it is not- I am notorious for after we teach a game, people tend to go back and read the rule books mm-hmm. after we're done to see if I messed up on anything. I don't you only have you only played it like that one time? Uh, it was it I think we played it a few times while you were here. I haven't I have not yet gotten a copy of it. So I I really want to. I loved the game, but no, I I only played it that one time. Yeah, see, there's this there's this thing about you take control of an area. Like I said, it's an area control game. And, and at the end of a round, whoever has the most of their little workers in an area gets a little token and they have control of it. There's a very important rule that says the next round, if anybody places one of their thugs in the store, that when they shake down the front of the business, whoever controls that area also gets to shake down the front of the business. I forgot that. Oh, I remember that rule. Yeah, thanks. So where were you that night? I really could have used some help. So we're playing this game. And at the very end, it was so funny. Somebody said, I mean, that was a really cool game. They said, but I don't really get the whole area control thing. I mean, yeah, sure. You get five points at the end, but I didn't see it was really that important. Well, duh, because I forgot one of the most important rules about the area control. (laughs) You ruined it. I did. It's so funny. Even when we were done, they said, that was great. Let's play again sometime. It's like, wait till you play it the right way. <laughs> It'd be funny if we played it again. No, that sucks. Let's play it the other way. <laughs> it's a little like, I mean, if I'm Eric Lang, it's a little like if you 
hold up a, a picture that you drew with a crayon and you say, no, this is a Pablo Picasso. <laughs> and then I go, wait a minute, but I'm Pablo Picasso and that's not one of my drawings. And you go, no, that's what a Pablo Picasso drawing looks like. And then everybody thinks Pablo Picasso is just kind of a guy that draws with crayons. That's what you've done to Eric's reputation, Marty. Well, to be fair, I'm not an art connoisseur, and it's really kind of hard for me to tell between some crayon drawings and some Picasso. So maybe that wasn't the best example. <laughs> well, uh, that's that may be true. <laughs> I am also not an art connoisseur, and I chose the wrong uh, analogy. Okay, that's fair. Hey, this has been a wonderful time uh, hanging out with you, man. Uh, I need to kick Tony out of the country more often. I think he's out on some other side of the world. He's in Europe or something. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, but anyway, it was so much fun uh, having you on. The one thing that sucks about this whole situation is like you, me, Rodney, we're sitting there talking a lot. We're like on the three most distinct ends of North America as you can get. Rodney's not even in the time zone that's in the United States. I don't, nope. He's out in the ocean somewhere. It's such a funny thing about this internet that we've figured out ways to stay in touch. It, it is both incredibly beneficial and and helpful, and then also it, it makes makes the uh, the heart grow fonder because it's uh, we 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 get to be together so so little. But I I have very much enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. It is an honor. I wish I was going to see you again. Later this year, I'm, I'm going to be seeing Rodney at uh, Shut Up and Sit Down in Vancouver in mm -hmm. October, and, and then I'll be seeing uh, none of you guys at Board Game Geek Convention down in Dallas in November. I'll be there all by my lonesome. That stinks the timing worked out like that. They did say that next year that it will be on a, on a different weekend. So uh, hopefully, you know, if if not this year, hopefully our, our paths can cross next time. So if you want to see Rich, you can go to Shut Up and Sit Down, uh, their expo, uh, and check them out there. Again, he'll be at BGG Con. He's like a mainstay there. And if you want to see a lot more of Rich, make sure to watch the first episode of Glow on Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> oh, Marty. Why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you warn me? I just like, I loved the picture in my head of you seeing me uh, in my all together there for that first time. And I, 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 I simply couldn't bring myself to rob you of that experience. Oh my gosh. I'm sitting there watching like, oh my gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. What is going on? It would be like me going over to Rodney's channel to watch like, I don't know, learn how to play Lisboa. And I hit play and he's sitting there in the buff teaching me how to play. I, I just think, wouldn't be expecting I think it. it is, I think it is distinctly dissimilar from what it would be like if you went to watch his Lisboa <laughs> video and he was completely naked. I It would be amazing don't get me wrong but i think it's slightly different <laughs> is it i, I don't know <laughs> because it could be a stretch goal next year that's right hey now we're getting somewhere <laughs> we didn't get the uh star wars rebellion uh video thanks people oh. uh so maybe next year we throw in you know uh rodney does uh you know no i don't want that i don't want that stretch goal. Never no mind. i don't think you do <laughs> We're just going to uh, leave that one alone. Uh, Rich, where can people find you? Well, I'm on the old uh, Twitter once in a while, at CardboardCast, and um, that's kind of it. That's really about where they can find me. I'm, I'm, I pop up once in a while on, on 
some TV shows here and there, but otherwise you, you can more regularly find me on Twitter. Once again, thank you so much uh, for coming on and everybody. Uh, Tony will be back uh, next episode uh, for what? Oh gosh. What was this? 128. So I guess that would be 129, 128 plus one. Yep. Carry the one. Yeah, that's Boy. it. And <laughs> and uh, it'll be uh, October. And October is a big month for me because I love Halloween. So I'm going to be doing some uh, some Halloween uh, gaming. We got some uh, scary movies uh, lined up uh, to play. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, Rich, maybe you and I can actually figure out a possible way to play Arkham Heart LCG sometime or something like that. Cause We've got to do it. We've got to do it. Such a good game. Such a good uh. game. Again, thanks, everybody. And remember, keep rolling dice. Uh, and And taking names. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us, you can do so on Twitter at Dyson Names, on our Facebook page, Roll Dice Take Names, on our BGG Guild, 1589, or Instagram, Dyson Names. Record. See, now the clock is running. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the, very important. That's what it's supposed yeah. to look like. That's what it's supposed to do. Holy crap. <laughs> All right, let's try this again. <clears throat> Essen's right around the corner. I'm telling you right now that our buddies over at Fun Again Games are looking at those games at Essen, trying to decide what they want to bring back. And as always, they're going to have their little Essen pre-order, where if you're going to BGGCon, you can go and pick up those games. So go over to BGG, look at all those previews of the games that are coming out of Essen, head over to Fun Again Games when they put up their list of those games that you're interested in. They'll get them, bring them back. You can pick them up here, have them shipped to you. It's a great service that hardly anybody else does in this country. Go check them out at funagain.com. <laughs>